Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. So here we are in the Sermon on the Mount. We're in Matthew 5 through 7. And remember last time we talked, it was a couple weeks ago, that the scribes and the Pharisees, those religious teachers of the day, though they seemed really serious about the commands of God, what they really did in reality is they relaxed them. They tried to make them more doable. And, um, and that's what you have to do, guys, if you're trying to rely on your own law-keeping to save you. you. You can't look God's law full in the face because you know you don't measure up. And so you have to kind of lower the standards, lower the bar. And that's what they did so much. When you're relying on your own self for your own salvation, which is impossible, you're always wondering, do I measure up? And you're always trying to lower the bar. But guys, if you see yourself as righteous because of Jesus, you can look at the commands of God fully and actually intend to do them because you're not afraid of them. You're not afraid of those commands. They pointed you to Jesus, and now they show you how to intelligently love God. And so what Jesus does in the rest of uh, Matthew chapter 5 here, is starting in verse 21, is he goes through and he shows six ways that the scribes and Pharisees have lowered the bar of God's commands. And the areas are in the anger. You can see your headings in your Bible. There's the, the area of anger. There's the area of lust. The area of divorce. The area of oaths the area of retaliation, and an area of loving enemies. And we're just going to look at the first one this morning, which is the one on anger. And what Jesus wants to show us in this passage is that anger and murder are two manifestations of the same sin. Take a look at it in verse 21. He says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother is liable to judgment, and whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Now remember, Jesus is not arguing with the Old Testament here. He's arguing with the scribes and the Pharisees who have lowered the bar of God's commands. And they tried to limit it. They said, well, you know, uh, murder, it's just about physical murder. It's nothing else. You can totally hate people in your heart. That's totally fine. But just don't kill them, okay? So the idea is as long as I haven't killed anybody, I'm good. And we hear that too when we share the gospel with people. They say, well, you know, I haven't killed anybody. We're like, okay, well, that's good, keep doing that, Um, but there's something more to this command, and that's what Jesus wants to show us. He wants to show us that you can't limit it to that, because there's a type of murder you can do in your heart, there's a type of murder you can do with your words, and that type of murder is liable to the same judgment from God. And we commit it, guys, anytime we have contempt for other people. And we can see that in verse 22, where he says, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to hell of fire. There are two different levels of insult here. It's kind of hard to see, but there's two Greek words. The first one's raka, which is um, insulting your brother in the sense that you have contempt for their way of thinking. Okay, So uh, raka is, I have contempt for the way you think. I have contempt for your mind. The second one you have is the Greek word here, more, which is contempt for this person's character. It's a little deeper. First one is, I hate the way you think. The second one is, I hate you. Okay? And this is contempt for human beings. And anytime we have this kind of contempt for other human beings, what we're really saying is that they're worthless, right? We're saying they're worth less than my life. Their life is worth less than my life. And you can see the connection here. Um, and our nation, guys, has had a history of contempt for groups of people, right? That leads up to this day. We can think of, you know, from the very beginning, we can think of slavery. We can think of later with the Jim Crow laws and the institutional racism that's occurred since then where black lives were treated as worth less than white lives. We think of in the 20th century, we think of the eugenics movement, 
You guys realize this? You study the eugenics movement. It's bizarre. But the things that were being said in Nazi Germany in the 30s were in the U.S. in the 20s where there was forced sterilization of different people that seemed that they were worth less than us. They were feeble-minded, or they just didn't, couldn't get their lives together, and there was forced sterilization of people. Um, and, and people with disabilities, their lives were seen as worth less than those that didn't have disabilities. And I know, guys, this is super heavy. And I was talking to Tosh about this yesterday. We're sitting at the pool, and I'm like, this is kind of a heavy intro. You know, I was thinking, like, Usually there's like a story about some people at a park or something. You know, just something light. But, and, then, and then I look back at the passage and I'm like, Jesus is unpacking the command you shall not murder. So this should be heavy, right? Like, it's okay if it's heavy. It's heavy sometimes. Or we think a little bit later during World War II, you think about like the Japanese internment camps. Did you guys know this happened? We were taking a trip in, um, in, in June up to Mammoth. And on the way, there's Manzanar, which is a, an internment camp. So in World War II, we, the United States of America that was out fighting for freedom, took Japanese American citizens and residents from, that were along the coast, and we shipped them out a little further east and put them in camps against their will. They lost their businesses, they lost their homes, they lost everything. And uh, why did we do that? We did that because of contempt. It was contempt and fear, right? It, and you guys realize that there was never a single case of a Japanese citizen or resident doing anything against us during World War II. And yet we shipped them all to camps. We called them Japs, you know? We, we saw that Japanese lives, were, we, we, we saw them as worth less than European lives. Or we think about abortion in our day, you know? And I know, guys, in a group this size, there's some that have had abortions, and there's forgiveness for that. And I think you guys would all join me in recognizing that's a part of the same fabric, isn't it? Right? That we would have contempt for the unborn. That we would somehow see that lives in the womb are worth less than lives on this side of the cervix. That's what it comes down to, really. It comes down to location, <laughs> you know? And these things are ultimately, guys, an attack on God because human beings are made in his image, and when we despise human beings, when we have contempt for human beings, we're having contempt for him. And as dark and murderous as all these things are, Jesus wants to wake us up this morning that our everyday anger and our everyday contempt for people is a part of that same dark fabric. It's in our hearts, too. You say, well, I don't do any of those things. But yeah, anger and contempt are a part of it. It's a spectrum of the same sin. And so sinful anger, guys, it's rampant in our nation, isn't it? During this season, do you find it rampant? You know, we think about our media. We've got 16 days left. 16 days left of election season. I'm sure there'll be drama after, right? But um, don't lose any friends during this time, okay? Don't lose any friends. You're going to need them when your district is called up for the Hunger Games, Okay? No, I'm just kidding you. I'm messing with you. I'm messing with you. I'm not doing that. Um, but seriously, don't lose any friends over this. We don't need to lose any friends over this, right? We see it on the road, right? We see it out on the road. I'm not usually angry on the road, but I think I must be the one causing the anger, right? I just don't look in my rearview mirror. Um, we see it at school. We see it at work. Sadly, we see it in our own homes. And we have to admit, there's a lot of angry Christians. We've all been those angry Christians, right? There's a lot of angry Christian singles and married Christians and Christian parents and Christian kids. There's a lot of angry Christian homes. And we use all kinds of euphemisms for it, right? What are some euphemisms for anger that other people use for their anger? Who? What? Venting. I just had to vent. What else? I'm passionate. What else? What's that? Frustrated, right? I'm frustrated. I'm, I'm fed up. I'm irritated. Oh, those people are so irritating. What are we saying? I have anger right? Um, impatience is one. 
You know, you know how when you're studying for a message or whatever, I mean, God brings out your anger. And I was this week, I'm a horse vet, and I was out with my clients. And when I get there, I want them with the horse in hand, ready to greet me, ready to get down to business. I don't want to, like, pull up, and they're like, oh, let me get him. And it's like, oh, he doesn't want to be caught. Ha, ha, ha. And, you know, it's like 15, 20 minutes later. It's like, I'm like, I'm like going crazy. And even if I don't have anywhere to go, you know, I'm just like, I'm that way with the kids, too, you know? I mean, it seems like when I'm trying to get them out of the van, like we're storming Normandy or something. It's like, get out, get out, get out, you know? Like, we're going to Target. Like, we're not invading. Like, this is, calm down. We have to admit, guys, we're angry, right? We've got to admit we're angry. And, and we try to hide our anger. I mean, I, I know a lot of times most people won't show their anger except at home, right? We're able to contain it. We, we blow up in the privacy of our own homes. Or some of us hold it in all the time. I'll tell you, me personally, I don't know if this is helpful information, I am extremely, extremely unlikely to ever blow up on you. You ask my kids, I don't do that. But I could hate you silently, right? And that's the same thing. The cold shoulder, the silent treatment is the same as the person that storms around screaming, breaking things. It's all one fabric, right? It's all one fabric. It's anger. And so, um, and we try to excuse it, you know, one of the common ones we correct in our kids but don't correct in ourselves is, she makes me so angry, he makes me so angry. And what do we say to our kids about that? She can't make you angry, right? She can't make you angry. What she can do is she could, re- she could do a really good job of revealing the anger in your heart, right? Some people are really good at that, but they don't make us angry. What they do is they reveal what's in our heart. I got an illustration for you, give this a try. Consider this your heart. Consider this what's in your heart. Consider this the person that's irritating, okay? Comes up to you, says something like that. What are they doing? They're bumping you, and they show what's in your heart, right? They didn't cause that anger. That stuff that came out, that was in there. She's just really good at bringing it out, right? And people are like that, right? We need to deal with the anger in our hearts. We need to not excuse it. We need to not cover it up. Jesus is saying here, he wants us to wake up that an angry heart is dangerous if we don't deal with it. He says it takes, it requires immediate, urgent action, okay? And that's what these examples are about here. Look a little further. He says, so, you see where he says, so there in verse, um, in verse 22, he says, so, and he gives two examples. And the two examples that he's going to give here, sorry, 23, He says, uh, he gives two examples of how it's an urgent, immediate need to take care of. He says, so, if you are offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there and go, and before the altar and go, first reconcile with your brother, then come and offer your gift. And then he gives a second example. So that's the first one. It's a brother. It's a temple. These are, you know, your Christian brothers, your relatives, people that are close to you. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an example taken from the temple. The next one is an enemy. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, unless your accuser hands you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never pay. You will never get out until you have paid every last penny. So the first example is with a brother in the temple. The second one is um, an example of an enemy at a courthouse. But in both, the, the point is really clear that an angry heart is such a danger that it requires immediate, urgent action. Right? Immediate, urgent action. That first example at the temple. He's saying that your angry heart is such a big deal that you should forego regular religious practices to take care of it. Okay? And a lot of times you see this example with communion. We say, you know... You know, if you, if you don't have something wrong with somebody and you make something right, you know, don't take communion, take care of that. 
What would be a better example in church? He's talking about sacrifice. Offering. Interesting, that one is Aeneas. So, uh, you know, if you have something to get your brother, don't put anything in the offering. Take care of that first. It's interesting when I do that. That one fits better, doesn't it? But what he's saying is that we can't just cover up our angry heart with layers of religious deeds. We like to do that, don't we? We like to go, well, I don't want to deal with that, but God, what I could do over here is I could write you a check, I could come to church faithfully, I could serve. He's like, no, 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 I want your heart. And that's a good thing, guys. He wants a relationship with us. He wants our hearts. He also wants our health. He doesn't just want us to, you know, keep throwing money into the machine. It's not what he wants from us. He wants our hearts. Uh, the second example, the court, courthouse example is, it, he's talking about the danger of keeping unnecessary enemies. He's like, if you can make things right with your enemy, make it right. What's an unnecessary enemy? Be somebody that you could actually reconcile with. Is there anybody out there, guys, that you know has an ax to grind with you, and you're like, that's their problem. Let them get over it. Jesus says, no, make it right. Don't keep unnecessary enemies. He gives the example here of like ending up in debtor's prison, right, until you have paid the last penny. He's saying here, don't keep unnecessary enemies. In Romans 12, 18, it says, if possible, and that's really important, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, there are going to be some people that we can't make peace with. They don't want it. They aren't interested in it. It can't be done, okay? And he gets that. God gets that. You see that in Romans 12. If it's possible, as much as it depends on you. But some of us guys have enemies out there that don't need to be our enemies. And he's saying, come quickly to terms with them. An angry heart is such a danger that we must take immediate, urgent action to neutralize it. Guys, and anger is a danger in our own homes, isn't it? And in our own families. And we take it lightly. Guys, don't let anger dwell in your house. Your anger dwell in your house. Let me ask you this, guys. Let's say it was last night, it's dark and stuff like that, and a dangerous intruder, any kind of intruder, comes into your house. What happens to him? What happens to him? They're dead, right? Yeah, mine don't leave a life. I haven't had it happen yet, but they're not leaving alive, and I won't tell you exactly how, but I have a way to take care of that. Guys, dangerous intruders, we don't just let them dwell in our house. Your anger is that intruder, right? Your anger is that intruder. You know, that anger that you feel towards an intruder, you need to turn that anger on your anger. You need to tackle this thing. This is not something you can keep around and play with. I saw a, a news story just the, other week, uh, just the other day, and it was a story about this guy, he adopts a puppy, and it turns out it's a wolf. He thought it was a puppy. I don't know how long this went on. It was like, hey, he didn't really bond with me well, and he was kind of aggressive, and, right? Don't keep your anger around like that, right? Don't keep your anger around like that. Treat anger as a threat to your closest relationship. So how do we deal with our anger? I think a lot of us go, I just need time to cool off. I just need to take a walk, I need a little time, I take a nap, I need to do something like that. Guys, that doesn't deal with the real problem. Your anger level will decrease as you let yourself cool off, but that's not really dealing with it. Do you guys know how the forestry service wants us to deal with campfires? You guys camp? What do you do? What do you get? Soak them, right? We soak them. Because you could just kind of let it die out, and you could go, oh, there's no smoke coming from it. You know, I don't see any glow to it. It must be fine, but what happens? Anyone in the camps knows a little bit of wind, that thing burns up into a fire, and you got a forest fire. That's what happens when we don't deal with anger in our hearts. Um, what we do is we let it just sit there, and it'll just flame up again. It flames up. That bitterness is simmering. You know what bitterness is? Bitterness is that angry wound that you've been licking 
for weeks and months and years so it can never heal. You gotta deal with that. You gotta deal with that. The Forestry Service says this about forest fires. What you need to do is drown it, stir it, and feel it, okay? They want you to dump water, stir, dump water, and stick your hand in it and make sure it's not, there's no coals there. And that's what we're called to do this morning with our angry hearts. We're called to drown it with the gospel, stir it with prayer, and feel the new life within and not get it dwell in there. And so what we're going to do with the rest is we're going to go through these cards. You guys should all have these cards. These are anger cards. I feel like they should have an angry face on them or something like that. These are anger cards. They're developed by a, um, a mentor of mine. And um, we're going to go through this because what, what I want to give you guys here is a way to walk through the scriptures with your angry heart, with someone else's angry heart, pray through these scriptures and have that doused in the gospel, stirred in prayer, and then felt to make sure it's gone. And so, and I want to tell you a little bit, the reason why we're doing this, guys, is because I believe Sunday morning is not just something to get you all fired up and stuff like that. This is a time of discipleship. Okay, And so I see this as a time of discipleship. We want to learn how to do the things Christ has commanded. And that's why we're going to kind of go through it this way. And, um, and so the first thing we got to look at here, and, and keep these guys, put this you know, purse in your man bag, <laughs> uh, in your Bible, wherever you have things you can put in, and keep it on hand. I want you guys to be equipped to be out there. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. This would be an excellent way for you to be a peacemaker wherever you go. But the first question, thing we want to look at is, when I'm angry, what? The first one is, I want something too much. James uh, 4, 1 through 2 says this, what causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire but do not have, so you murder. And he means murder in the same way Jesus is talking about here. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Guys, anger is evidence that you want something too much. That's what James is saying. Okay? And you might ask, like, what about righteous anger, right? You guys are probably wondering that. Isn't there a righteous anger? There is a thing called righteous anger, guys. But realize the problem is, is that all anger feels righteous at the time. Have you ever been angry and not felt righteous about it? Right? It always feels righteous at the time. That's the point. Okay? And so um, you, we know that Jesus was righteously angry. Can we think of a time? Cleansing the temple is a really good example. I remember reading a children's story about Bible, not the one we gave you guys, but a different one where it had Jesus cleansing the temple. And I remember my kids being really disturbed, little kids going like, whoa, what's going on here? And they're like, Jesus is angry. I thought he never sinned. That was righteous anger, right? Because people had, were selling merchandise and stuff in the court of the Gentiles, the only place that outsiders could come and worship God. They put a marketplace there, and, um, and Jesus comes in, and he throws over their tables, and we love that about him. You know, it's one of my favorite passages. Um, he's angry. He's turning over tables, but it's righteous anger. There's three qualities of righteous anger. One, it's toward an actual sin. That's important. Real sin has occurred. Secondly, it's against God's kingdom, not mine. You're like, oh. <laughs> well, that just took out everything I'm passionate about, you know, right? When Jesus was angry he, there, he wasn't angry because of wounded pride or a personal offense. He was angry because the Gentiles didn't have access to God and the religious people are keeping him out. And because he said, this is my father's house. He says that zeal for his father's house. And then thirdly, it needs to be expressed rightly. And so we should be angry about our own sin, the way sin harms others. We should be angry about injustice and oppression and suffering in the world. Um, feel free to be angry with Satan, okay? Right? We should be very angry with him. I had a guy ask me recently, uh, it was a little while back, he said, you know, I wonder, is it okay to hate Satan? And I'm like, that's what hate's for. 
Why do you think you have hate? Feel free to hate Satan, right? Be angry with him and all the things he's done. And then rightly express it, though, guys. Rightly express it by fighting your own sin, fighting the works of the devil in the world, fighting suffering and oppression and, and injustice. The missionary and abolitionist David Livingston, the one that was David Livingston, I presume, that David Livingston, he said this, sympathy is no substitute for action. Okay? And so if you have anger about the things in the world, sympathy and shares on Facebook are no substitute for action. So let that righteous anger do something to you, stir your heart to actually make a difference in the world, by all means. So all anger, guys, though, feels righteous at the time. We should be suspicious. And James says here in this passage that most of the time, anger is a symptom of our own idolatry, isn't it? Most of the time, our anger is a smoke detector for our idolatry. Anger starts going off, first thing you should think of, what do I want too much? What are idols? Idols are things that we want that can be very good things. We want obedient children. We want loving and respectful spouse. We want a very affirming boss. We want kind and thankful customers. We want loyal and helpful friends, right? Those are all right things to have. We even have verses about it, right? God agrees with me. That's, why I think, why sometimes Christians can be so angry. They say, God agrees with me. I should have this. But does he agree with how angry you've become to get it? He doesn't agree with that, right? It's, it's a, it's, so we need to think about what idol do, am I holding on to? What's the thing that I want so badly? And I've done this illustration before, but like um, desires, good desires are a good thing. And it's, it's like you have an open hand. I have an open hand and there's things I want. I want my kids to be obedient. You know, I want my spouse to be a certain way. I want my customers to like show up real quickly, holding their horses ready to go. You know, the things like that, right? Those are desires. Those are great. Those are fine. There's verses about that, right? But what happens on idolatry is gradually our hands, it goes from a want to I need this, and then it's I demand this, okay? And that's, that's what happens in idolatry. And so the first question is, is what do I want so much? Secondly, second helpful thing, when you're angry, when you're dealing with anger in your heart, it's a way to extinguish it is to say, I'm not God. <laughs> I'm not the judge, um, sinful anger makes us judge, jury, and executioner, doesn't it? You guys remember the story of Joseph? Joseph, he had a whole bunch of brothers, right? And his, his dad, you know, was, had favoritism towards him. He's the one that had the cool jacket, right, with all the colors, right? And so his, he was his dad's favorite. The brothers got really jealous. They ended up selling him into slavery, he ends up a slave in Egypt. They lie to the dad and say he's dead. He ends up there as a slave. He actually ends up getting a pretty good job in Potiphar's house. Then he's falsely accused. He's wrongly imprisoned. Then later he gets freed and he rises up the ranks in, to be a ruler in, in, um, in Egypt. And then a famine comes, right? And the brothers come begging for grain in Egypt. And who do they find there? Plot twist. Their brother, who they sold into slavery, is in charge of the granary, right? So what does he do? He has mercy on them, right? But what happens later is the dad dies and they go, now we're going to get it. Now he's going to kill us. Kept us alive till dad died, but now he's going to kill us. And so they come to him in total fear. And what does he say? It's your verse here, um, Genesis 50, verse 19. It's Joseph says to his, his fearful brothers, do not fear, am I in the place of God? You need to think about that. When your anger is stirring up, I'm not in the place of God. I am not the judge. When we allow our anger to rule, even the silent kind, even the silent treatment, the cold shoulder, we're acting like we're God, like we're judge, jury, and executioner. 
Romans 12 says this in verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And then listen to this. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For so, by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Well, how do we do that? Look at the third one. God has been very gracious to me. Okay, this one's the nuclear bomb of dismantling, you know, the, uh, that's a weird analogy, of the heart, of your heart. This is the huge bucket of water, let's put it that way. This is the huge bucket of water of the coals of anger. Take a look at this. Ephesians 4.32, the verse that's on there, says this. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as what? As God in Christ forgave you. You guys remember the parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 18 of the unforgiving servant? The, the, it goes like this. There was a master, and the master brought people to him that owed him money. And he brought a servant that owed him money. And it's a ridiculous amount. It's, when you do the math, it's 200,000 years wages. So it's impossible to pay, right? And he pleads with him and he says, have mercy on me and I'll pay you everything. And the master goes, no, 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 I'm not going to put you on a payment plan. I'm just going to wipe it clean. He goes out, he finds a servant that owes him money and he owes him 100 days wages, which is a lot, but it's nothing compared to what he was just forgiven, right? And he says, pay me what you owe. And the guy says, no, 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 have mercy on me and I'll pay you everything. The exact thing he just said, right, to his master. And he, he refuses and he chokes him out and he throws him in prison, right? Guys, how quickly we forget the forgiveness we've received in Jesus. I think it was on the trip out from being forgiven the debt that he did this. I mean, it seems instant. How quickly we forget the forgiveness we have received in Jesus. A mentor of mine, Jim Neuheiser, he said this. To stay angry, you have to force yourself not to think about the gospel. You know we've all done that, where we're angry, and we, and, and we go like, eh, what about the gospel? Shh, nah, I'm not done here. Right? We have to hush out the gospel. The gospel is the thing that will totally douse this. Right? And this is a great picture of the gospel, guys, because there is a being in the universe we owe to. Right? There is a being in the universe that has every right to be angry with you and me. Righteous anger. Right? Righteous anger. And when Jesus brings his kingdom in here and makes all things new in this world, makes this world all new, he has every right to kick you and I out of it. Right? To live on the outside of the kingdom. To live in what Jesus calls in verse 22, the hell of fire. That, that passage there in verse 22 where he talks about the hell of fire, it's the word Gehenna. And Gehenna was an actual place then. Okay? So they're in the, you know, you're in the city of Jerusalem and you're hanging out. Outside the wall of the city, there was a dump where they burned their trash. It was called Gehenna. It was a heap of burning trash. And that's where you know, common criminals might just throw their bodies out there. Things were thrown outside of there. It is a physical place. It was a dump. It was a smoldering trash heap outside the walls of Jerusalem, outside the kingdom. And that's where we deserve to be, guys, when God brings his kingdom back here and makes all things new. We deserve to be thrown outside the kingdom, over the walls, into that place, into Gehenna, into the hell of fire. But guys, the good news is, is that Jesus allowed himself to be driven outside the walls of the kingdom. Remember that? That's how they took him, right? He willingly, he allowed himself to be walked outside the walls, outside the camp, outside the city, outside the kingdom, and to be crucified outside the city walls. And when he did that, he wasn't just enduring the hostility of people, 
He was enduring the righteous anger that we deserve from God. He was receiving it on the cross. The doctrine is called propitiation. And the idea is is that we deserve God's wrath. We deserve his anger, his righteous anger. And what God did is he took it upon himself in Jesus. Isn't that awesome? So it's gone. And I think some of you guys might need to see that, you know. Some of you guys might carry anger because you think that God's still carrying anger at you. But it's gone. There is no anger for you. He took it. He totally took it. God took the wrath we deserve on himself. Philosopher uh, Cornelius Plantigus said this. I love this. He said, in his death, Jesus absorbed the world's evil into himself without passing it back. Because there's this cycle of vengeance, right, that we see all down through the cycle of vengeance. And he took it on himself without passing it back. So cutting the loop of vengeance that has cycled down from the ages. And we're called to do the same thing. That's what Jesus is calling us to do, to absorb injury without passing it back in all of our relationships, whether it's brother-sister ones within the church and in the family, or whether it's enemies out there in the world. God's paid your debt. God's paid your debt. He didn't put you on a payment plan either. He wiped it clean, right? And Jesus rose to prove that when he was sent to our prison, he paid every penny. It's all paid. And that's why he rose from the dead. And so, guys, if you haven't come to Christ yet to have your debt forgiven, do it today. You know, do it today. Why keep God as an unnecessary enemy? That's what you're doing if you're like, oh, I don't think it's time yet. I don't really want to give my life to Christ yet. You're keeping God as an unnecessary enemy. Remember what Jesus said about keeping unnecessary enemies? Look at verse 25. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. There is a court date coming, right? Lest the accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison, truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny, which is why hell's eternal, right? We can't pay that debt off. Look at what he says. He says, come to terms quickly. Come to terms quickly with God. Like today, if you would just trust in Christ today, if you would put your trust in him, surrender your life to him, he will forgive you. He will receive you. And then next week, we're going to have a baptism. We can baptize you next week. Right after service, we're going to have a potluck and baptism. We could baptize you next week. Guys, it is here that we see our anger extinguished as we remember the gospel. God has been very gracious to me. Okay, that's just three out of five, right? You're probably like, I'm good. (laughs) That did it, you know? But there's a couple more, and I'm going to go through them real quickly. The next one is this. God's in control. You guys remember that story with Joseph? The next thing he said, he said, am I in the place of God? I'm not going to judge you. I'm not in the place of God. And you know what the next thing he said? The next thing he said is in verse 20, he said, um, in Genesis 50, 20, he said, and as for you, you meant evil against me. He's like, no, what you did is evil. But God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are this day. You guys realize their whole family would have starved. The way that God preserved that family and preserved the line of Jesus was through the evil actions of Joseph's brothers. If, if they hadn't done that to him, he wouldn't have been in Egypt. He wouldn't have controlled the granary. He wouldn't have been able to supply all their needs. And so God, guys, God is accomplishing 10,000 beautiful things through every way that people have wronged you. You need to trust him in that. Every way people have wronged you, God is going to do 10,000 beautiful things through it. Romans eight twenty eight, For we know for those who love God all things, and the all, you know what that means in Greek, right? So that's all, Yeah. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Lastly, so God is in control. Lastly is, remember who I am in Christ. Romans uh, 6.11 said this, 
So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. Guys, through the death of Jesus and his resurrection, you're not only forgiven for your anger, but you have actually been set free from the tyranny of your anger. And you might say, like, well, I don't feel that second part. Well, that's something we grow in. That's what discipleship's about. It's about learning to do the things Christ has commanded. It's about learning to live into that new life, the new creation that you are. And, um, and that's, um, you know, what baptism symbolizes, right? When, we, when somebody gets baptized, they go down in the water, right? It's a picture of them dying to their old life, right? And if you want, we could hold you under for a while so you can meditate on it. If not, it's fine. We'll do it real quick. You choose, okay? Don't be afraid. But you die to your old life, and then you're raised to a new life. And that's what this last point is about, is you have a new life. Acting on your anger is not inevitable. Okay, a lot of times we act like it is. Well, I'm just an angry person. This is just the way I am. Or, you know, I'm Italian, right? (laughs) Something like that. Everybody's got their thing, right? they got their thing that they say. But we're new creations in Christ. First Peter says that we have been ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from our forefathers by the blood of Jesus. We don't have to act the way our parents acted or our grandparents acted. We don't have to live on in these kind of generational bad patterns. You're a new creation. And so when you feel that anger in your heart, this last point, this number five here, remembering, is go to God in prayer. Say, Father, I don't want this anger in my heart. I don't want it. And I know you don't want it. Give me Jesus' heart for this person. Lord, I need to see a manifestation of your spirit in my body like right now. Please channel Jesus' perfect life through me today. You pray like that. So this is the way, guys. This is the way that we really deal with anger. Okay? So hang on to these things. This is the way we, we take that angry heart, we douse it with the gospel, we stir it, and we douse some more gospel in, right? And then we stick our hands in it and make sure it's gone. That's what we're going to do. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that you have reconciled us to yourself. When I look at passages, it's scary to even read Hell of Fire. Think about Gehenna, that there's a, that that burning trash heap symbolizes some eternal future that we've avoided. God, we thank you for that. We thank you that you, we could not solve this problem. We couldn't pay back our debt. We couldn't make things right, but you made it right. You took it on yourself. You sent your son. Your son willingly came and took it on for us. We thank you so much, Lord. We pray that you would make us a people that forgive our debtors as we've been forgiven. We pray, Lord, that you'd make us a church that knows how to make peace with each other and how to be peacemakers in the world, Lord. Make us a people of forgiveness and grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of the Menifee Campus of Covenant Grace Church. If you'd like to know more about Covenant Grace Church, visit us online at covgrace.org.